Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy that we have this time that we can share together. If you're just joining us for the first time, my name is Charles, and I'm the pastor of Hickory Rock Baptist Church here in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And it is my prayer that our time spent together in God's Word will help you in your walk with Christ. Now, won't you join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our text today, Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through chapter 4, verse 4. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for Christ. And Father, I pray that during this time you'll give us open ears and open hearts and that you will help us to sit humbly under the authority of your word. And Lord, I pray that we will be nourished and edified by your word and that we will take it, Lord, and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord God, I pray that you will empower us through your Holy Spirit to be the people that you have redeemed us to be and that you will help us to follow you more obediently more humbly, more joyfully, and more faithfully. And Father, again, Lord, we thank you so much for Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So today, loved ones, we're going to resume our journey through Acts, and we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 4. And I'm sure you've noticed that over the past several days, maybe the past couple of weeks, that everywhere you look, people all around are doing their countdown lists of everything that happened in 2023. And this is the kind of thing that we do every year as we approach the end of the old year and look forward to the coming new year. And we do this as an exercise. We're kind of closing the book on the old year and we're looking forward expectantly, hopefully for the year to come. And we are looking forward to the new year because it brings with it the promise of a fresh start, a clean slate. And we all hope that the year to come will be better than the year that we just survived. But here's the small problem with these kinds of exercises, with these kind of recap or countdown lists. So much of these lists, so much of one's outlook on how good or bad the old year might have been, so much of that is so completely subjective. And what I mean by that is this, so much of it, so much of our outlook on the year is based on our own individual personal experiences. And that means for each of us, for everybody watching or listening to this sermon, we all might have a completely different outlook and opinion on how good or bad the year 2023 was. For some of us, 2023 cannot end quickly enough. We need to put this year behind us immediately. Some of us might be desperate for 2024. But for others of us, 2023 might have been the year in which things finally started to fall into place. And there is an optimism about what might happen in 2024. And since this is the case, since people watching this today might have one or the other of these two polar opposite views of what's going on, I think my job today, my duty to you, is to bring some objectivity to the table. If so much of our outlook on the year that's coming out is based on, so much of it is subjective to our own individual experiences, then I need today to present us with something that is bigger than us, something that is unchanging, something that is constant, something that is objective 
so that we can all be on the same page. And as it would happen in the text before us today, Acts chapter 3, 11 through 4, 4, we find a text that helps us do just that. We find in this text solid, objective reminders of unchanging things that we can cling to. And we see in this text three different calls. We see first and foremost, a call to remember all that God has done through Christ. We see, secondly, a call to remember all that God has promised to do. And lastly, number three, we see a call to remember that God is still at work. And loved ones, regardless of what your outlook on the outgoing year might be, these three calls that we will see today help us to remember that God is still in control, and that he is still in charge. And because of that and that alone, we have hope no matter what we might be experiencing. So if you would, join me now in Acts chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 4. And it says this, While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. He said, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, even though Pilate had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, because of all of this, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah." Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors when he said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Now, while they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, 
and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, loved ones, the last time we were in Acts chapter 3, we entered into this scene in which Peter and John were going to the temple one day to pray. And on their way into the temple, they came across a man who was lame from birth, who had been laid outside the temple gate so that he could beg for money. And on this particular day, Luke tells us that Peter and John go to the man, that they command him in the name of Jesus to get up, and that instantly the man's legs were healed, and then he entered into the temple with them, praising and worshiping God. And we learn that this caused quite the stir inside the temple because everyone recognized that this was the man who was lame from birth, and they could not figure out how he was now walking. So once again, just like on the day of Pentecost, we see in this scene a situation where a crowd witnessed something miraculous. They see an act of God, and they are amazed and confused, and they are desperately in need of someone to tell them what's going on. And once again, we see where Peter steps up to do just that. But notice in verse 11, even before Peter begins to speak, Luke tells us that this man, the lame man who has now been healed, that he is holding on to Peter and John. This man who was just healed, who is now praising and worshiping God, who is now at the center of the crowd's amazement and awe, he is holding on to Peter and John, almost as if he cannot believe himself that he's standing on his own two feet. And loved ones, off the bat, I think this is something noteworthy for us. I think this is worth looking at just for a moment. I think that we often fall into the trap of thinking that when the Lord moves in our lives, that he then expects us to stand on our own feet immediately and that we have to begin doing all of the work of our salvation ourselves. But I think in reality, loved ones, the Lord wants us to cling to him, and he wants us to lean on our community, on our church, on those that he has put around us. We need to stop thinking that God is distant and aloof and that he's just sitting on high waiting for us to fall. Instead, we have to remember that God is with us, that he is holding us up, that he is the one who is steadying our feet and guiding our steps as we move forward. We must remember this, and we must continue to hold on and cling to him every step of the way. But as we go into verse 12, we see that Peter sees this opportunity to preach and proclaim the gospel, and he begins doing so by asking a simple question. He asks, why are you amazed by this? Why are you looking at us as if we were the ones who healed this man? And by asking these questions, Peter wants to stir the memories of the people. He wants them to pause and to recall the prophecies, the promises of hope and healing that God said would come with the Messiah. And we know that this is the approach that Peter is taking because starting in verse 13, Peter begins explaining how Jesus is the promised Messiah and how this healing is a demonstration of Jesus's power and not Peter's or John's. This healing 
says Peter, is proof of Jesus's messiahship. It is evidence that God has glorified, that God has exalted, lifted up, made great his servant, Jesus. And not only has God glorified or exalted Jesus, not only has God worked this miracle of healing through Jesus to prove Jesus's power, but Peter goes on to tell the crowds that God did something else that was equally even greater to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And that greater act was that God raised Jesus back to life from the dead. But this should raise a curious question in the minds of the people in the crowd that day, right? We should stop and think what they might be wondering in their minds. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then that means that Jesus was at some point what? It means that he was dead. So how did this great Jesus, whom, G, uh, whom God has exalted, how did he come to die? And well, loved ones, Peter answers that question for the crowd. And in doing so, Peter holds nothing back. He pulls no punches. Peter reminds the crowds that it was they who handed Jesus over to the Romans, that it was they who denied Jesus before Pilate, that they were the ones who traded the holy and righteous one of God for a terrorist, and that they were the ones who killed the author of life. And as Peter spoke these heavy words, surely, undoubtedly, he recalled his own role in that. Surely he remembered his own threefold denial of Jesus. And loved ones, we must have the same recognition. We must see and understand that we are just as guilty of Jesus' death as those crowds were on that fateful uh, Passover day. Because we were the ones who contributed to the sins that necessitated Jesus' death in the first place. But it's incredibly interesting, is it not? That as Peter makes this heavy case to the crowd for their role in and responsibility for Jesus' death, notice that Peter does not distance himself from the crowds. He doesn't separate himself from his Hebrew kinsmen. Notice in verse 12 that he calls them fellow Israelites. In verse 17, he calls them brothers and sisters. Here we see that Peter loves these people and that he is doing everything he can here to get his fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters to see who their long-awaited promised king is. Peter wants the crowds to see Jesus in the same way that he sees Jesus. But loved ones, for them to see Jesus that way, in order for them to recognize and remember all that God has done through Jesus, and to be able to realize the power that comes from Jesus' name, from his reputation, the crowds must first see who they are in light of Jesus. They must first see their brokenness and their sin. And to help the people see their brokenness, to help them see their need for healing, to see their need for saving, to help them see that Jesus is indeed their long-awaited Redeemer, God has done this wondrous act 
He has healed this lame man through Jesus' name so that everyone there that day could be amazed and in awe of what Jesus is capable of doing. And so they could see and remember and understand all that God had done through Christ. And loved ones, the same is no less true for us today. So quickly, when we take our eyes and our minds off of Christ, we so very quickly become overwhelmed by the goings-on of this life. And there is only one cure for being overwhelmed in this way. There is only one cure that we can hold on to when the sorrows like sea billows roll over, uh, over us and begin to overwhelm us. We, in those times, must remember everything that Christ has done. For us. We must remember how he has saved us, how he has changed us, how he has sustained us. And then because we can remember everything that Christ has done, everything that God has done for us through Christ, loved ones, we must then cling to Christ and not let him go. But as we move into verses 17 through 26, we see that Peter then begins to get the people to remember everything that God has promised to do. And again, the biggest of God's promises that Peter wants the people to see is to remember and understand God's promise of salvation. But again, in order for the people to remember God's promise of salvation, Peter has to call to mind some uncomfortable things. And he begins by calling to mind the ignorance, the hard-heartedness, the opposition to God's plan that these people were guilty of. He needs them to remember and to understand their guilt and their complicity in rejecting Christ. But Peter then goes on to say that it was in doing these things, in rejecting Christ, that the people did exactly what God said that they would do, and that God used their evil to bring about his good and his glory. Peter needs the crowds to understand that it was their rejection of Christ that brought about Christ's suffering that God then used in turn to bring salvation to them. And Peter then offers a call to repentance, a call for the people to turn away from, to reject their old, sinful, ignorant ways, and to turn to Christ so that two things might happen. First, he calls them to repentance so that their sins might be wiped out, expunged, blotted away. The word that Luke uses here in Greek refers to how the ancient scribes, the papyrus and the ink that they used, it was very interesting and unique. There was no acid in the ink that the ancients used. And so the uh, ink would not bite down into the paper. It would not be permanent. So if a ledger needed to be erased, if a debt had been paid off, all the scribe, all the accountant had to do was to take a wet sponge and to wipe the ink away, and the ledger would be new. Peter calls on the people to repent so that their sins might be wiped away in this same way. And also, so number two, so they might experience the seasons of refreshing and relief that come from Jesus. 
The word that uh, Luke uses there in the Greek for refreshing refers to what we might call revival or a cooling off or more quite literally to catching one's breath. And I want you to think about times, loved ones, in your life when you are at the end of your rope and then God intervened in your life in some way, in some great way that brought relief to you. And when that relief came, it was quite literally like catching your breath for the first time. We might say getting our heads back above water. And you might realize after some time has passed that it was only because of God's intervention in your life that you were able to catch your breath, to find that relief. Well, Peter is here saying to the crowds, reminding them that such relief from and hope in the midst of the trials of this world is only available through Christ. There is no other way to find such hope or such relief. And Peter goes on to tell them that it was this relief, this hope, this salvation and rescuing from sin that God had promised to the world from the very beginning of the scriptures. Peter tells the crowds that Jesus is the one who will come from heaven to bring restoration, who will make all things new at the appointed time. He tells them that Jesus is the one that Moses spoke of when Moses referred to a prophet like himself who would raise up and that all the people must listen to him. Peter tells the crowds that Jesus is the promise of salvation, the blessing that God told Abraham his family would bring to the world. And this blessing, this salvation that Jesus brings to the world is first evidenced in how he turns people from their evil ways. But loved ones, as Peter tells the crowds this day, and as the scriptures teach us and attest to this fact, such relief, such hope, such restoration, such blessing is only found in Christ. This is an exclusive hope that only Christ could provide. And it's in Christ and through Christ that we can begin to see how God is bringing all of his promises into fulfillment. But as we move into the final verses of this passage today, loved ones, we see a curious thing happen at the beginning of chapter 4. We see for the first time in the book of Acts the opposition that the church will face. And from this point forward in Acts, there will be persecution. There will be opposition directed at the church and at Jesus's followers. There will be growth in the church. And then from outside of the church, there will be severe pushback and persecution against that growth. And here, Luke tells us that the temple leadership come after Peter and John. And they come after Peter and John because they are preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And we only need to look back to the Gospels to be reminded of how Jesus and the temple establishment hit it off with one another. Luke also singles out here for us the Sadducees. And in addition to their connection to the temple leadership, Luke reminds us that the Sadducees were annoyed with Peter and John's teaching because they were teaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And we remember that the Sadducees rejected any notion of a resurrection. They did not believe that such a thing existed or would ever 
be. And so because of all the ruckus that Peter and John had raised this day, the temple police come and arrest them. They lock them up and they try to silence the message of Christ. But even as the temple establishment arrests and puts away Peter and John, we are confronted with the way that God continues to work, even in a bad situation. Yes, Peter and John are arrested here for the first of many times to come, but loved ones, look at what God does. Luke tells us that many people believe the message that Peter was preaching and that 5,000 people were saved. We see that God's plan is moving forward even in the midst of crisis and opposition. And I think this is a powerful message for us. All too often, we might fall into the trap of thinking that God is only moving, that he is only working when things are going good. But the truth of the matter is that God is always working, despite how good or bad we might, things, uh, might think things are. And it's often only in the times in which we fight, uh, face difficulty, in which we are uh, overwhelmed, that we are able to finally see or be willing to see how God is working around us. And loved ones, we must remind ourselves that God's work and his activity in this world did not end with Christ. God's work and activity in the world did not end with the writing of the scriptures. We must remind ourselves every day, loved ones, that God is still actively working all around us despite our circumstances, despite how good or bad we might think things are. And we must choose to see how God is working all around us. And with that, we must choose to participate in that work. And loved ones, I think that this text today is so incredibly relevant for us, especially on this last day of this year. Because I'm sure watching this video today, there are people who felt like they've had good years and there are others who feel like they've had bad years. I'm sure watching this video today are people who have hurt, who have lost, who have grieved, who are currently grieving. Surely there are people watching who have closed out one chapter of their life and who are starting a new one. Surely watching today are people who have taken steps of faith this year and others who need to take a step of faith. Watching today might be people who have grown tremendously over the course of the last year. There might be people watching whose growth is only just now starting. And still, there might be others watching who feel as if their growth has stagnated. Watching today might be people who are excited, might be people who are discouraged. There might be people who are weary from their burdens. But wherever you are emotionally today, whatever you might be feeling or experiencing, loved one, I want to say this to you. My encouragement is the same no matter what you're thinking or feeling. And my encouragement is this. Remember Christ. Remember what Christ has done. 
Remember how he has sustained you, how at your lowest and darkest moment he was with you. Remember how Christ has grieved with you. Remember that Christ knows exactly what it is to feel whatever it is that you are feeling today. Remember that he has felt all of these things and remember that he has never ceased to be with you. Remember, loved ones, how Christ has carried you. Remember how he has promised to be with you. Remember everything that Christ did to bring this promise of hope and restoration and salvation to you. Remember that we were once far away from God and that Christ came here and gave himself up to bridge that gap and to bring us back to himself. And remember, loved one, that Christ is with us both in the green pastures and the uh, steel uh, the calm, still waters, but also in the dark, scary valleys. Remember, loved ones, that Christ is still in control, that he is still holding all things together, that he is still working all things to his good and his glory for his purposes, regardless of how good or bad the situation may be for us. Remember that Christ is not yet done working. And remember, loved ones, that Christ has done all of these things, that he is doing all of these things, that he will continue to do these things because of his great love for you. So remember these things, loved ones. Remember Christ. Cling to him. Remember that you are not on this journey alone that you are not in this world by yourself, that you do not have to carry these burdens on your own. You don't have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off because you have Christ. So remember Christ. Cling to him, loved ones. Hold fast to him. Dig your nails into Christ and remember that he will never leave you. He will never disappoint you. He will never forsake you. And loved ones, it does not matter how good or bad this year was. And it does not matter how good or bad the next year might be, for we have Christ. So remember him and do not forget. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and we thank you for Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the promise of hope that we have in him. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to be wise, to be prudent, to number our days, to count our blessings, to, and to never cease to be amazed at how mightily and greatly Christ has intervened in our lives. Father, help us to remember all that you have done through him, all that you are doing through him, and all that you will do through him so that our hope will never cease to be refreshed. And Father, help us to share this love and this hope with those around us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.